Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you. Breeze MCP, welcome aboard. And no, it was not your hiccup. It was my hiccup. We have several channels going here and sending it off to the different channels. Somehow we had, not we, somehow I had all the paths connected. But anyhow, Dawn Broadband. Broadband, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Michael Rudnin, welcome for welcome to being here or welcome for being here. Whichever one is grammatically correct. Every now and then my grammar slips me. Every now and then you know how that goes. Anyhow, folks, we are going to have a great show for you today. Please let me know if the levels are okay or the levels too loud or the levels right because we had some adjustments that we were doing over the last few days. So if we need to adjust the levels downward, please let me know and I will make those adjustments that are necessary. Anyhow, we're going to have a great show for you today. What is the show going to be about today? But anyhow, uh, what do you think? Did you have a good holiday? I I refuse to use the name because it offends some. Others it does not it doesn't it do, do not. So I just say, did you enjoy your holiday? I had my holiday here alone. My wife is in DC with my daughter. She gets back tomorrow, I think. My daughter so far. It's been improving. Uh, but I had a socially distant uh Thanksgiving dinner, I think I can call it Thanksgiving dinner, with a good friend of mine. Uh, It was only four of us. Usually when we have Thanksgiving dinner at her place, it's usually 30 or 40 of us and it's huge. Well, she still made a whole lot of food, but it was only four of us socially distanced. Uh, And I think the only reason that I was over there is uh, she probably felt very sorry for me that I would have been having some noodles and soup for Thanksgiving. So he said, come on over. And I said, no, well, I just flew in from from D.C. and I want to kind of isolate myself. She said, you wear your mask all the time, don't you? Yes. Didn't I see those pictures with you with a mask on, with gloves on, and a, a, a glass over your face? Yes. Well, you can come to dinner, socially distance from us, and keep your mask on, except when you're eating. Okay. To which I said, okay, and we did the right thing. Yeah, thank you so kindly, Nanette. I'm going to go, I'm supposed to get my update today. She did her, she went to, um, she went to um, do her rounds at the university hospital today. And, <laughs> you know, she's, first of all, it's raining in D.C. And she walked up to, she had to walk to uh, the place with her stick. And she sent us a text and she said, I really feel like an I, I, I what she said today I really felt what's the word that she used um, I really felt that word that she used not invalid uh, what what is that word she's uh, anyway she used the word that saying that she felt like she didn't have all her faculties together for the first time because she has barely one use of one hand the other hand she has full use and then she just said that uh, when she, they took the gloves off of her, she, she made a, you know, it was like all the other doctors are there looking at, oh, look at how your hands behave and all that good stuff. So it was kind of interesting. And then she said, I can't wait to get back home because she's so tired, uh, you know, doing rounds at the hospital and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, like I told her today, it's just great that she, that she, Went there. Yes, we're going to have a good show today, Jacoby G. Let's have a good show today. You already know haters are in here or will be in here. We're going to have a great show. You know why we're going to have a great show? Because Jacoby G is here. Because Bridge MCP is here. Because You Ain't Black is here. Because Paulette Stancil is here. Because uh, let's see who else is here. Because Nanette Bird Smith is here. Because Dawn Broadbent is here. Because Michael Rodden is here. We don't, we don't. 
other people don't make our show, Tank 28, don't make our show not good. We don't define what's good by other people. We make things good, all of us together. Anyhow, let's go ahead and let's get busy. The show today is about uh, Chicago RN gets real on the pandemic, Chuck Todd on anti-science right-wing and more. Welcome aboard, Deborah John. Great to see you. And Paulette Stenson, great to see you. Chicago RN Dennis Kosuth described their COVID described their COVID pandemic. Uh, Chuck Todd, I got to fix it. That's a grammatical error. Chuck Todd comes clean on right wing COVID complicity, viral inequality. So where are we going to start? We're going to start with good old Chuck Todd and the introduction that he gave to his show yesterday. Uh, what I think is so good is that even the mainstream media who who tries to, one side says this, the other side says this, and not take sides, even Chuck Todd in this particular piece, if you read between the lines, he was slaughtering the right to say, look at what you guys have brought upon us. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the side. Let's get busy. Today on Meet the Press, Chuck Todd got the the sense of desperation that we have in this COVID crisis in the right tone. He got it perfectly, in my humble opinion. I want you to listen to that, and then let's go ahead and take it on the other side. Throughout America's COVID crisis, there has been a parade of grim statistics among them. As of this morning, there have been more than 13.3 million cases and more than 266,000 deaths in the United States alone, with little reason to believe things will improve in the short run. But if there is one statistic that stands out above all the others, it is this one. The United States has 4% of the world's population and somehow has 19% of the world's COVID deaths. This is hardly what people mean by American exceptionalism. And no amount of gainsaying or presidential tweeting that increased testing is somehow to blame can wish away this dubious honor. This weekend, tens of millions ignored pleas from health experts and some government officials to avoid travel and instead spend time at home with their immediate families. The result may well be a COVID surge beyond the record numbers we've seen. How did we get here? Did we lose faith in our government because our government gave us reason to lose faith in it? Was it a decades-long assault on science and objective facts, particularly by some on the right? Was it a fractured media environment that invites people to seek alternative facts that fit their personal worldview? Or are we just fed up, done with months of Zoom meetings and closed stores and kids home from school that we've simply had enough? Enough that millions feel it's worth taking a big risk to have a brief sense of normalcy. Whatever the cause, the results are clear. Millions are being infected. Hospitals are near their breaking point. And healthcare workers are the ones paying the price. And hospital workers are the ones paying their price. Uh, I have another video that I did today with a registered nurse out of Chicago who put everything into context. But when Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd gives some very important information, 4% of the world population, 19, 19% of the deaths. Think about that. Think about what that means. Think about how we go around patting our backs about being exceptional, about doing things better than anybody else, about having the best healthcare system in the world. None of it is true, of course, but if what we are really is an extractive society with a few people making a whole lot of money on the pains of everybody else. And this co- and, and we've, we have gotten so we have gotten so antiseptic with it. We have gotten so mathematical with it that we don't have to worry about all these debts. Uh, think about if, all, if, if we had four or five jumbo jets crashing every single day. If we've had a 9-11 every day and a half. Think about that. But we don't care, right? And I'm not talking we. I'm talking about the people in power. They don't care. They don't care that people are starving. They don't care that people don't know what they're going to do in the next few months. They don't know that people don't have where to put their kids. They don't know that people can't do the things that they want to do. And we tolerated this exceptional country because we can just say, we are exceptional. We are the best. We believe it 
and we don't try to get better. Chuck Todd's introduction of this COVID crisis today is one of the best ones he's done thus far. We are in dire straits, and unless we demand of our politicians that they take care of business, nothing will get solved. We're going to talk about that a whole lot on the show in the next few days. Now, I really, you know, Chuck Todd said something, you know, when he, he spoke about all these things, and he said specifically on the right. For, for all of you who know Chuck Todd and how he reports the news and how he does his questioning and who he brings on to his show, for him to put that, those three words or two words in there, I mean, that is big. I don't, I mean, for those of you who follow him, that was big. The reason that we are, the reason we are in the state that we are, we are 4% of the world population, 19% of the deaths. The reason we are there is not because we are different than any other country, it's because of our right wing. Our right wing made doing the right thing somehow suspect. Doing the right thing was somehow a problem. And that is where we're at. And thank, thank our lucky stars that the administration that is coming in, whether you're, you don't think it's progressive enough at all like I do, but it's a better administration that's coming in to get the work done. I think it is so important for us to know that things are going to get better. That things are going to get better. Anyhow, one of the things that I think fa we failed at several times is that we don't push back when we need to push back, including Chuck Todd. I was happy with what he did there. He came out and just pointed out, yes, it's the right wings whose fault all of this should lie on. But... But the good thing is, or, or the bad thing is that we don't do that when we should, many times when we should. And that's why listening to Farid Zakaria this weekend kind of, you know, made me feel pretty good. Because we had one of these pompous right-wingers who came on to the show, Farid Zakaria's show. And he stopped him in his tracks. So I want you to listen to this, and then we'll take it on the other side. If you want to understand what good journalism should look like, all you have to do is check out how Farid Zakaria took care of this particular right-wing pompous uh, historian. But you know what? Um, I don't always agree with Farid Zakaria because I think sometimes he's more measured than he needs to be. Sometimes I think he's more... Uh, he's more uh, in as much as we are supposed to try to always work together, sometimes I think he's a bit soft in his conclusions, but he's an excellent journalist that I think we should always listen to. I was excited the way he handled this person. Measured, but effective. Check this out and let's take it on the other side. Neil, what do you think is the message in Biden being elected, Trump being denied a second term, but the Senate apparently staying Republican, the Democrats not doing so well in the House. Make sense of that. Well, I'm going to disagree with your monologue, Fried, which I know is very presumptuous of me. But actually, what you said seemed to contradict itself. You began by saying the country was deeply divided. And then you went on to show that actually, when you look at uh, voting, uh, it cut across uh, racial uh, divisions quite clearly. Uh, and I'd argue that this election has actually been the victory of the center running against a great deal of media commentary some of it yours that foresaw a constitutional crisis if not a an outright civil war uh, this election wasn't the 1860 election uh, that led to civil war after lincoln's victory it wasn't 1876 when a bunch of states sent rival electors uh, to washington and the whole thing ended up being stitched up in a, a rather uh, seamy deal in fact for me the most surprising uh, thing is that you had highest turnout since uh, 1900, uh, both sides successfully mobilizing voters, uh, but the country collectively voted for the center ground. Neil, let me ask you about the, the Republican Party, and this is why I would, I would persist in saying that the country is polarized. You have now, by the latest polls, 77 percent of the Republican Party that believes that this election was fraudulent and that Joe Biden stole it. You have a situation where Donald Trump is without any question the dominant figure in the Republican Party, even after having lost an election. Well, let's remember, Fareed, that many Democrats felt that way, not only about the 2016 election, but about the 2000 
election. So it's not like it's the first time that the losers have said uh, the election was stolen. The Democrats spent four years trying to find uh, evidence that uh, Vladimir Putin was responsible for uh, Donald Trump's election and uh, failed to find it. So I think we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't over exaggerate. We shouldn't exaggerate what we are seeing here. I just want to do a factual point. Uh, Neil mentioned that uh, Democrats also, after 2016, uh, thought the elections were rigged. I just checked it. Uh, about 30 percent of Democrats thought the election was rigged uh, or, f or fraudulent. There, it is now, as I said, about 75 to 80 percent of Republicans who believe that. So I do think that is a difference. And if you notice that uh, after the break, Farid Zakaria had his producers. They went ahead and did their research uh, to make sure that his audience got the valid information to make sure that that false equivalence that this right-wing hack was trying to put out there was not going to stay in the ethos. One of the problems we have with the mainstream media today is these right-wingers come onto TV to put their message out. They're not really there to answer questions. They're there to push a narrative. Look, I don't have a problem if you want to push a narrative, but the counter-narrative and the corrections and the truth need to still be found a way to get out there and good for Farid Zakaria he did exactly what he needed to do to make sure that 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 false equivalence that misinformation that this guy is trying to put out there that uh Neil Ferguson this great historian with that great accent somehow wants to get into the in, into the psyche of others it's not there there is a difference there is a difference and, and the losing side, whenever they spoke about Democrats, were really not the losing side ever. Remember that. But when it comes to Donald Trump, they have always been the losing side. Great job, Farid Zakaria. We, yeah, John Carter says Farid Zakaria was too nice. I, and that's, that's, I think that's what I gave as a preamble, that I don't think he was as forceful as he should be. Interestingly, right, um, all the, whenever we see them do these things for us, it's like, like even when I saw Chuck Todd say uh, all of these problems, yeah, generated by the right or whatever words he used. For me, it was like, wow, that is great. Finally, they get the pelotas that they're going to go out there and say, yeah, the reason we have uh, 260 something thousand Americans dead is because of the policies of the right. When they start saying these things. People start to, you know, it gets into their psyche. But when they do, well, the Democrats are, want this and the Republicans want that. Yeah, but what the Republicans want will kill you. What the Republicans want to give you will make you poor. What the Republic, Look, what the, what the baseline Democrats want to do is pretty much fearless status quo keep you doing fine. What progressives want for you is a true egalitarian society. Always remember that. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get to... Let me see what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do Eddie Glaude first. I'm going to go ahead and... Let's go ahead and get the interview with that nurse from Chicago. I love this guy. I saw this guy on MSNBC. And then when I saw that, I had to look him up and find him. So I found him and I, I, I called him up. Uh, I, I Actually, I got him on Twitter and said, Hey, uh, I really want to talk to you because you are great on, on MSNBC. Will you do my show? And he said, oh, okay, let's do it. He went and he looked me up and then he said, he, you know, he sent me a text back and said, yeah, I'll do the show. I like what you do. Love this guy. Check him out and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Look, today, I, uh, you know, we talk a whole lot about this pandemic. We know what's happening in the field. But you know who are the only people that really understand what's going on? Those are our registered nurses. Those are our janitors who are taking care of the floors and making sure things are clean. Those are the doctors that are in the first place taking care of those to make sure we are all healthy. I saw Dennis Kasath. I hope I said that right. That's uh, fine. Great. I saw him on MSNBC, and he was relaying the story about what was happening at his hospital, his hospital being uh, Provident Hospital. In Chicago. Uh, welcome aboard, Dennis Kassad. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm a little, it's a little bittersweet, actually, because tomorrow is going to be my last day at Provident. They are cutting the budget. They're reducing staff. And so tomorrow's going to be my last, doing my last shift at Provident. I've been a nurse for, for 13 years. I've been in the county system, which is the public health safety net system in, in Cook County, in Chicago, for uh, I don't know, 11, 11 of those years. 
and for the last three I've been at Providence. So it's a little sad to a little sad for me tomorrow. Okay, I tell you what, I want to get into that part of the discussion because I think that yeah. is going to ultimately be the most important part about it. Uh, but what I want to do, first of all, is for you to tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little sure. bit about who is Dennis. We want to know who are these people that are always out there on the front line that risk their lives, as a lot of us play patty pake with wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I've been... Um... I've been a nurse for about 13 years. Uh, it's, it was a second career for me in the sense I've worked in other, basically other kind of odd jobs. But a while ago, I worked as a nursing assistant. I really loved that work. I was uh, able to take care of people, make a difference in people's lives. I really loved it. It was working for a state um, system in Wisconsin for people with developmental dis disabilities. Uh, the downside of the job, though, is that the pay was just terrible. And that was one thing that I learned in this thing is that when you take care of humans, that is not valued in our society. I think I was making like, this is in 1998 or so, I was making maybe $6 and 20 some cents an hour taking care of human beings. And then I did that for, for some months, maybe five or six months. And it was, the work was really hard in the sense that I worked the night shift, but they were so short staffed, it would force me to work the day. So I'd be up all night and they're like, oh, you're gonna work another eight hours from seven until three. And after a few days of doing that, I was like, look, I, gotta, I can't do this anymore. And I went over to UPS and I was making $2 more an hour stepping on boxes. And so that to me was like a, one of the first lessons I learned in how healthcare is delivered in this country and how it's, uh, it's about money and it's not about what people need. And so then I did, I did work to UPS for a number of years and that, then I left that and became a nurse and I've been doing that for the last 13 years. Well, I mean, I, great. I saw an interview that you gave, uh, actually a very passionate interview that you gave on MSNBC, uh, just asking people to mask up, asking people to do what's necessary and right. uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you is th that you said something that is dear to my heart. And that is, here you are a registered nurse, but you know that there are times that you have to go on the line outside to protest and say, you know what, right. we, need to be, we need to take care of human beings better. And not only that, but we also need to make sure that uh, we have the resources that are out there. That's to right. Get the job done. So tell me a little bit about how is, what's the state of... Uh, the, the pandemic in, in your vicinity, in your part of uh, Chicago? Yeah. I mean, in Chicago, it, it's really awful. Um, the, the positivity rate is very high. The death rate has been very high. Um, it's, it's, it's rough for, for people who work in hostels right now. Like I constantly talk to coworkers who are short staffed, like they don't have enough beds. They don't have enough ICU rooms. They don't have enough uh, med surge beds to hold the patients and, and they're really sick. And the thing is, is that coronavirus has shown a spotlight. It's, it's like a stress test. I mean, people know what stress tests are. If you have like chest pain, you want to go, into, you want to, go to the doctor, they figure out, they say, what we're going to do is we'll walk into a treadmill. We're going to see, we're going to stress your heart out and see if it still works the way it's supposed to be working. So coronavirus is a stress test happening in our health system and it's exposed how broken our health system and in particular how broken it is for, for BIPOC people, for people of color, for African-Americans in Chicago. I mean, they make up about 30% of the population, but they are 70%, 60 to 70% of deaths. Latinx people, Latino and Latina uh, people make up about the same, about 30% of Chicago's population, but it's double that when it comes to positivity rates. And it's, it's wrecking havoc upon our communities of color and, and it's exposing decades old healthcare inequities that have existed in the city for so long. Chicago actually has one of the worst gaps in life expectancy in the entire country. Uh, Englewood, which is on the near south side of Chicago, the average life expectancy there uh, is 60. It's predominantly African-American. It's a poor neighborhood, just eight miles away up in Streeterville, very rich, very white neighborhood, 90. This richest, the third largest city in the, in the richest country of humanity has a 30 year life gap. And this was before coronavirus. And so that's, we're seeing the devastating impact of this coronavirus on a system which has not cared for, for people who work for a living and especially not care for people of color in this country for very long. You know what is so interesting is I've been on a thread today with a, a few of my, uh, a few of us that write at another, I write at several other blogs other than my own as well. And we had this conversation about uh, the coronavirus and its impact on society. And one of the things that they were saying is, oh, this is all wrong. If we calculate the death rates and all of that, it's not all that bad. And I'm like, let me ask you something. And not only that, they're, they're against, well, uh, all these restrictions, it's really not fair. And, and, and the masking, you know, these are, and these are not 
right wingers I'm talking about. These okay. are moderate guys that write for fairly liberal rag. Right. Okay. Right. And I, you know, I go out there and I say, so tell me, are the are the portable freezers that I'm seeing in El Paso yeah. uh, a figment of my imagination? No. Nope. Uh, the thing about <laughs> it is we understand that there's a whole lot the plutocracy does to make more money on health. We understand that. Yep. And this, and they, it could be that uh, what the conspiracy that these uh, many on the left are pushing is, uh, okay, well, you know, maybe it is that just the plutocracy wants to make a lot of money. So that's the reason why they're making this more than it is. You are there. Why right. don't you enlighten these people about the difference between what you are seeing at your hospital and what really was before? The people who are being affected are, are like you were saying, these are people who work in nursing homes. These are people who don't have health insurance. There was a guy who I took care of who tested positive coronavirus. He was a security guard in a hospital. He worked full time in a hospital. He had to work, but he didn't have any health insurance. He has to work there six months in order before he can get health care. Like, how does this make sense? And everybody who comes to Providence on Chicago South Side, 99% of our patients are, are African-American. So that's the population that we're, that we're working with. These people work for a living. They contribute to society in all kinds of ways. Are the essential workers that are being held up saying, oh, look, these people who work in grocery stores, who work in transport, who, who drive buses, who are postal workers. Those are the people who come into the hospital I work at who are being exposed to this disease. And because of their underlying conditions are having worse outcomes. Now, racists would say, oh, well, people who have high blood pressure or maybe they have asthma or diabetes is because of their genetics. And that's just garbage. We know that that's patently false. It has nothing to do with genetics. It's, those are diseases of being in a lower socioeconomic status. If you live next to a highway, you're gonna have more likely to have asthma. If your grocery stores, your neighborhood, all they sell are potato chips and, 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 and hot wings, are you're gonna have more likely to be obese. You're more likely to have diabetes. Um, so it's about access to quality food. It's about access to quality health care. Uh, and if you don't have access to quality health care, you're not going to be able to get the kind of health care you need. You're not going to be able to manage your blood pressure, your diabetes. I've seen so many patients come into the ER. They share insulin with family members because they can't afford it. They take their blood pressure medicine every other day because they don't have enough of it. So this, this is definitely having a horrible effect on people who are already suffering, who are already uh, suffering from the health inequities and the social justice inequities that exist in our society. The lack of empathy is, is pathetic as I see it right now, because what, what people don't realize, and you just stated it there, these are the people that we depend on. When we, when we go to the grocery store, masked <laughs> or unmasked, we want right. to see them there. When we yeah. want to get to that bus, we want to see them there. When we want that cup of coffee, we want to see them there. Yep. Now, here, here's an interesting thing. You're at a hospital, a security guard who works at the hospital gets sick. And you say, wait a minute, how comes he's at working at a hospital and can't get care? Well, many right. times the hospital, in order to, 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 to give credence, more credence to the point that you made where you stated that uh, it's not about health care. These hospitals who are providing a service to make a profit off of your illness, they will go hire security guards from companies that don't provide yep. their people uh, healthcare instead of hiring it from the hospital itself where they're required to provide yep. healthcare to their full-time employees. You got what it. Gives? it. It just doesn't, I mean, this individual, he, he didn't work at the hospital I worked at, but he worked at a big chain, mm -hmm. uh, a, a big Catholic chain. And he, Worked like you exactly like you said through he was contract through a company and they had very terrible benefits and that's so many people and that's why this disease is ravaging across this country because our working conditions are awful when people are sick they go to work they go to work because they don't have sick pay I also work in schools as a nurse and so many parents will send their kids to school when the kids are sick they'll be vomiting they'll have fevers and I am so understanding of why they do that because they have no choice. Because if they don't, if they don't send their kid to school, they don't go to work. And if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. I mean, this is an outrageous that we live in the richest country of the world, and people have these working conditions which make no sense and are actually bad for public health. It makes it worse. But the people who control our society, who run our society, the decision makers, they're not affected by it. They don't. They probably don't even care about the effect that this thing is happening because they're such racist, because they're the ones who are at the top of society who've been benefiting from this, the way that things have been operating for so long. And that's why I think what you said earlier about us all masking is absolutely important. Like, and, and to go beyond that, like we need to do more than that. We can, we can play a role in making our world better, just regular working people, just like you and me. We can, we can work together, organize and, and demand something better. We need to.
I think it's so important. You know, it, it's funny because there's a meme that's been going around on, on the internet recently talking about AOC. AOC is evil. AOC is, and I'm talking about these folks that are, that, you know, they are so bad because they want to do good to humanity. In other words, they're so bad because I want to give you health care. They're so bad because I want to make sure that there's, health, there's, there's uh, care for your kids for you to go to work. They're so bad because they want to make sure that the air that you breathe is, is worth breathing. Right. You know, when, where, when did we become such a society that have allowed a few to tell us that we are not worthy of having right. good things for us all? When... I, I, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think I think this goes back. This goes back to the foundation of this country, in my opinion. This country, what was it founded on? Stolen land. And people slavery. came from somewhere else. They murdered the people who lived here, either consciously or you know uh, by accident through spreading diseases, etc. Stole their land, murdered them, chased them down like animals, and killed them. And then they brought other people from another continent in chains and had them work that land. So that is the foundation of this country. And so we have to understand the, the, what's happening today. I think obviously that was a very long time ago, but I think some of those ideals, some of those ways of thinking that these are, that people are just you are used, can be used by us, by, by, by a small percentage of people at the top to profit from, and that there's, there should be no kind of common good. There should be no kind of uh, 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 sense that we depend on each other. That it's very deep in this country, unfortunately. And those ideas are, are put forward continuously by the mainstream media, by politicians who like, allowed themselves like Donald Trump oh I'm some kind of self-made person that's garbage he was handed millions of dollars by his father and was a terrible business person on top of that so this idea that he's some self-made individual is just garbage but we're kind of all fed that that line that if you just work hard enough and struggle hard enough and and just get, get ahead you will survive and succeed and if you don't there's something wrong with you rather than something wrong with a society which doesn't put those values at the core which is that we should work towards each other we should help each other we should all benefit from the wealth that we all create and that's to me a, a, a big problem that has to change in our country when I saw that interview that they gave to you on MSNBC, this is the reason that I wanted you on because, you know, I can sit down behind a mic and be on a camera and I go out in the field sometimes to see things. But this coming from somebody who's actually doing the work, who's actually seeing the debts, who's actually seeing all of this, it means that much more to our audience because what happens is there are a lot of talkers out there, a whole lot. Okay. But there are very few people that are uh, that are doing the real work out there to make things better for everybody else. Now, earlier you said that um, your hospital, they're downgrading or tell me a little bit about that. It's an outrage. And, and this is a safety net hospital. And we all know what safety net means. If you're a trapeze artist or work in a circus, if you don't have a safety net, what do you have? You have concrete. Right. That's it. <laughs> it's not, that's you not a good situation. So this is a safety net hospital. It's funded by taxpayers' money. And the, the politicians, and again, these are Democratic parties. I'm not a Republican. I'm also not a Democrat. I think both parties have a lot of problems. Um, and the Democratic Party, who runs Chicago, is cutting the budget. They unanimously, they unanimously voted to cut the budget of Cook County uh, Health and Hospital System. They're closing two clinics, which provide uh, primary care uh, on the side of, south side of Chicago, and they're reducing the ER to be a standby ER. So our ER typically would have five, six nurses on the day shift. Now they're going to have three. And that what standby means is they can have a doc. They don't have to have a doctor on board. They don't have to have an X-ray technician on board. They don't have to have a phlebotomist, you know, someone who draws blood or or lab people to to do tests on blood. They don't have to have any of those things. And they're doing it on the south side of Chicago in the middle of a pandemic that's disproportionately killing African Americans. It makes it makes it's just an outrage. I want to stop you a second. I, I want to be clear, and I want the audience to be clear about this. There are several county hospitals around Chicago. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, well, Cook County is a system, a healthcare system, and it has Stroger, which is the big flagship. Provident is part of that. It used to have Oak Forest Hospital, and Oak Forest over years was starved, 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 and then it died. And Provident, it's the same thing. And, and the thing that's unfortunate about Provident, it's the first African-American owned and operated hospital in the history of the country. This doctor uh, was, who founded it did the first open heart surgery when someone was wounded. He fixed that person's heart. And so there is a legacy to this hospital that is being disrespected, in my opinion, by the cuts that have been happening. And they've been slowly bleeding Provident for many years. They took away the deliveries. They've, they've reduced the number of surgeries they'll do. They have taken away the ICU. And so they built this wall and they've dammed up 
any kind of influx of patients into that hospital. And now they're standing back and look and say, oh, it's not being used. I guess we have to cut it more. It's just so outrageous that they're the ones who created the situation to lower the number of patients. And now that there's less patients, they're using it as an excuse to cut it further. And ironically, they're they're cutting it when uh, you are understaffed for a pandemic. <laughs> even if even if they wanted to make that argument, the right. fact that you have a pandemic right now dictates that you at least wait till the pandemic is yeah. over before you actually have some other uh, other other thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and then what they say is our hands are tied. They say we don't have a budget, and it's true they don't have a budget. But it, get back, it gets back to how healthcare is organized in our society overall. This is the richest country in the world, and we spend more per capita on healthcare than any other country in the world, and have some of the worst outcomes, in particular for African Americans. African American women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth than their white counterparts. African American babies are twice as likely to die. Uh, during during following delivery. African-American men are 40% more likely to die from colon cancer than their white counterparts. So we pay more and we get less and some of us get even less than less. And so it has been an outrage for many years and that's their excuse they're using. So we need to have more money come into public health systems and we need to change how public, how healthcare is organized. So it has to be around meeting people's needs, not about what makes money. The only healthcare system that makes sense is a single payer Medicare for all when there's where there's no profit motive for providing care to the, the to the patient. Otherwise, yeah. uh, there will always be a for profit reason for doing something, and that uh, that the uh, that the average American citizen has been hoodwinked into believing something else is at best suspect, at worst evil. The thing that's interesting is that there was a poll done, uh, exit poll, to my understanding, with this latest presidential election, 72% of Americans, of voters, support a, a, a health care system where everyone's covered. This is Democrats, this is Republicans, across the board, support it. The, the issue in my hand is you have politicians who have zero backbone or zero will to take on the large health insurance companies, the big hospital chains, and big pharma, the big pharmaceutical companies. They don't want to take, they don't want to touch them because they feed them. Right. They feed them the money that allows them to run their campaigns, so they don't want to talk about national health care. Very, there's very few politicians who have the, the, the backbone or the guts to do that, unfortunately. Two more questions. The first one is, what can we do to, uh, to help this situation? The audience that we're talking of, uh, yeah. we, we have a, both a progressive and a conservative audience. Okay. I mean, I think that some of the basic health uh, care safety things are things that we need to do. Wear a mask keep safe distances, uh, wash your hands. Those are the things that we all can do. We don't, but the thing that I'm thinking about is a lot of times these nurses, uh, nurses are held up as heroes. And, 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 you know, maybe becoming a nurse is something that someone has to think to do to be able to fight this disease. You don't have to be a nurse. You don't have to go to school for two years. You don't have to be, be real dealing with blood and vomit and all, all this stuff, all the, the body fluids to, to do your part. We can all do our part. Wear a mask, keep safe distances, uh, wash your hands. Those are the things. When you get sick, seek medical help. I think those are some baseline things that we all can do. Secondly, we need to advocate for ourselves as patients. We're all patients. We're all people who need health care. We're all people who require health. There needs to be a higher level of public health knowledge, meaning that we should support having more nurses in schools who are part of educating uh, young people about what public health means, about basic things that we can do to keep ourselves safe. But we also need a better system that centers patients' needs over making money. When you, everyone can advocate for that. Call your representative, go, organize with your, with your neighbors, uh, talk to people in your workplace about fighting for a better kind of healthcare system that our country deserves. Okay, Dennis, what, didn't, what did, didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? I mean, you covered a lot of things. I think you covered a lot of things, and I really appreciate it. I think that uh, I really appreciate your, your questions. I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate your interest and your audience interest in this topic. Well, look, Dennis, it's been my pleasure to speak to you. I wish we had more spokespeople as good as you are on this particular issue because that is what it's going to take. America needs to... And America needs people who understand the issues and who can put it into a form that they can understand. So thank you so kindly for having been. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I think, I think you, make, you make an important point, but there's also nothing special about me. There's nothing special about me. The history of this country is regular people like ourselves who have stood up for something and made it right. Slavery was ended 
because regular people stood up and ended slavery. Slaves stood up, abolitionists stood up, enslaved people stood up. The, the right of women to vote did not happen because it was handed down from high. Regular people stood up and fought for that. Gay marriage was won because people stood up, regular people stood up and fought for those things. We can make this world better. We can make this country better. Just regular people like like us. We just have to we have we have to educate ourselves, learn the issues, and organize. We can make it happen. Dennis Kosa, if you don't know it, it's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. Thank you. I love that guy, registered nurse Dennis Kosa. I mean, it, it was great. You know, when I saw him on MSNBC, I just said, I, I had to get this guy. I had to get this guy. Anyhow, folks, uh, thank you very much for listening to the guests. Welcome aboard, Jeannie Hoyt, Just Me, uh, Paula Grieb. Uh, let's see who else just came in as we spoke. Norman Reynolds, uh, welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? Who else is here that I didn't call out yet? I'll go through the whole list a little bit later. Anyhow, um, yeah, love that guy. Anyhow, folks, if you are on YouTube, support, become part of the posse. Click on that join button. Please go ahead and click on that join button. Waving just me. How you doing? How you doing, just me? Uh, again, click on that join button and become a part of our YouTube posse. If you're if you're on some other channel other than YouTube right now, you can still become a part of the posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. If you go ahead and uh, click up that um, click up that thing, you'll do just fine. Anyhow, uh, if you want that book on the screen, it's worth it. How to Talk to Your Right Wing, Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Please go ahead and get your copy either at uh, Amazon, where you, if you order it, you can get it right away. Or if you want to cut out the middleman and do it directly at our store, where I will go ahead and autograph it as well as send you a bumper sticker. You can go ahead and send it directly or, or purchase it directly from our store. Either way, it's fine with us because you will be supporting the cause by doing so. That is at politicsunright.com slash store, where you can get not only that book, but you can also get our book, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, as well as our weight loss book, etc., etc. By the way, I saw somebody mention about uh, George Carlin. I love George Carlin. I mean, George Carlin. In fact, in that book that I just showed you there, the, um, the As I See It, the, the conclusion, I actually quoted a three-minute piece by, uh, by George Carlin that I cut out where he talks about what the plutocracy is doing to us. It was, a, it was genius what he, he wrote. I was, going to, uh, you know, I was going to read it, but I don't have the time to do that right now because there's one other video that I want to show you. But anyhow, you go ahead and go to politicsandright.com slash store and that be me, Parisian MCP, that be me. <laughs> I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. Anyhow, um, secondly... You can support our program by going to our Patreon. Our Patreon is at politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That is politicsdoneright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. Alternatively, of course, we all take PayPal. And PayPal, you can go ahead and go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal, did I get all those things in? I think I got them all in, but please, if you're on YouTube, click that join button, become part of our posse. We need you. We actually very much need you. All right, the other topic that I wanted to talk about today is income inequality. And I found this article, it was originally on, um, on Common Dreams, and uh, I had to repost it at my site. Again, it uh, it's uses Creative Commons, so done it by giving the, the particular attributes. But what it talks about, I, I want to read a part of this thing that is very important. It says, uh, it talks about how inequality has become viral. And then it gave some statistics that are shocking, and I'm going to read it real quick. It says, an average of $200,000 each, this is what has happened, how much of our money has been transferred up the ladder, not down you know, they always talk about we're taxing the rich and somehow we're taking away the birthright of the rich. Everybody cares about the rich, right? The PDR Posse, Bridge MCP, love you, girl. Anyway, check this out. I want you guys to listen to this, how our money is going up. 
an average of $200,000 each to the to the richest 10% of Americans. In November of 2019, Wilshire total market stood at about $32 trillion after plunging at the start of the pandemic. By November of 2020, it had risen to $38 trillion. That's a $6 trillion overall increase for stockholders. The richest 10% of Americans, about 25 million adults, most of them millionaires, owned 84% of all stocks. So it's a it's a small percentage. 10% of Americans own over 80%, 84% of all stocks. So when they always talk about, oh, the stock market goes up, it lifts all boats, they are lying to you. Very important. Then here's the other one. An average of $1.5 billion each to the richest 650 individuals. In other words, we have given $1.5 billion to the top 650 people. They say, oh, well, they earned it. They, they invested their money. No, they did not earn it. We worked and our excess labor, they took. They agreed, oh, we want to pay you $7 an hour, $12 an hour, and whatever is left over, which is a lot, it's us. I'm going to tell you another little secret after this, but I hope I remember about that, about small business and what's going on right now. Remember I said small business. Okay, so $1.5 billion went to the top 650 people in this country. 650 people, country with 330 million people. 650 million got $1.5 billion each on average. Uh, Let me put this on the screen so you guys can see as I'm reading it. An average of $25 billion dollars each to the richest 25 individuals. Bezos, Musk, Gates, Zuckerberg, and the 11 other richest Americans had $922 billion around this time last year. As of Thanksgiving Day this year, their wealth had increased by another $375 billion. And you can say, oh, well, they are investors and they are, they are rich people and that's how... The-. No. That is how we have been taught to think. We have been taught to think that, they're, that they earn that money. Remember, all those Amazon trucks you see running around, it's the money that they are not receiving that Bezos is pocketing. And while they have to budget and think how to spend a little bit of money that Bezos agrees to pay them, Bezos goes off with their labor, with their birthright. I want you guys to start reframing the way you think. Stop thinking that somehow these guys have the right to it. I always tell you guys a story about Amazon. Amazon patented one click. Froze out a lot of people out of the market, that online market for a while. Including myself who had a product. When this was the early internet days. One click. Check out Willie's Computer Software Company. And I'm telling you, what happened when this is how the the corporatocracy works? If you have the capital to freeze everybody else out, which is capitalism, don't let them fool you about, oh, there's no no, uh, inherent democracy within capitalism at all. Capitalism and democracy are mutually exclusive. In fact, if you take a look, America is a capitalist country and China is a capitalist country. It shows you that it has nothing to do with the political system. Please remember that, people. Don't be fooled by Krager, Univer- Krager University or whatever it's called. They don't know what they're talking about. They know what they're talking about. They're indoctrinating you based on the Paul Manifesto. Okay, here's the other one. An average of $600 billion each to the five richest tech companies. Think about that. Thank you very much, Susanna Wal- Walker, about the interview. Think about that. $600 billion each of the five richest companies. I want you guys to understand what inequality really means. It's not something that those poor peons, they just didn't go to school enough. It's not that these peons uh, didn't lift themselves up by the bootstraps. I was on a program, a right-wing program, and th- you know, all these guys were talking about, oh, we, we don't believe in the minimum wage because we want people to be able to start. And this guy, th- this is an entrepreneur. If I had to pay somebody $15 an hour, I could. I am risking my money to uh, create this company. And if I'm not going to give somebody $15 an hour to do something that... Uh, and I'm like, but you know what? The reason why you are having to get somebody to do some work for you is you can't do it by yourself. And if nobody wants to work for you, 
you can't do it by yourself. So please don't sit down and think that you are that you are an island that can exist without the rest of the world. You can't. And when we start to exert the reciprocal power that we really have, when we start changing our mind, when we unlink our minds from the chains, then that is what we get. Everybody think that it's Donald Trump who's created this problem. Donald Trump has only been the vocal, the vocal stater of the America's problem. But this problem was always here. I want you to listen to Eddie Glaude. This is very important what he said. There's a panel discussion on Meet the Press today that is very prescient. I think people need to understand exactly what uh, Dr. Eddie Glaude is saying there. So let's talk about it at the other end of it. I think you can put the Democrats into two camps. There are those who say Trump is an aberration and uh, we simply need to defeat Trump and we'll return to the pre-Trump era where politics were bad, but Trump is the real problem here. And then there are those who say the whole system is rotten. And it's not just Bernie who's campaigning on that. I would put Elizabeth Warren in that camp who have been saying that. I mean, she hit Obama on that, on that, uh, saying that he didn't adequately uh, address the financial crisis and that this entire system needs to be overhauled. It's Maureen Mount's theme today. She hits everybody. She hit, she hit Biden. She you know, Obama, sort of like these guys that have always tried to be rational rule followers. And it, I right, so look, income inequality wasn't Donald Trump's invention. The fact that the planet is on its deathbed, it wasn't Donald Trump's fault. So when we begin to lay out an economic philosophy that the Democrats have been complicit in, right, since 1980, that has in some ways devastated everyday ordinary workers, when we think about policies of deregulation and privatization, that have in some ways devastated the planet and devastated the health of everyday ordinary folk. It's not just Donald Trump. In some ways what we're living in is the collapse of the age of Reagan. And the question is something is dying and something is being born. So these Democrats who made a living reconciling themselves to the philosophy of Reagan now have to figure out what they're going to do. The collapse of the age of Reagan. That is what you have to get out of that. And also you have to get out of that that there were in fact many centrists that were complicit in that. So therefore if we are to win if we are to win not only in the White House, but everywhere else, you cannot replace it with that which caused damage. And if you doubt what I'm saying, this is present what she is saying right now. Republican. The Chamber of Commerce Republican, who does not like Trump. Many of them, I think, voted for Democratic House members. What do they want? Uh, I think what they want is the economy to continue growing like it is. I think that they have sort of reconciled themselves to not liking the tweets, not liking the way the president always conducts himself, but liking the results he's getting on policy and in terms of the economy. Do they want to kick him out, or do they want only will kick him out for somebody like Biden? Uh, I, I don't think that they generally want to kick him out. The Democrats have a very small margin of error about who they nominate to be able to peel some of those geofears away. The status quo wants Donald Trump. Donny Douch, he's a liberal Democrat, and he all but said that. Put a progressive in there, he rather Donald Trump. What has to be done, folks, is progressives have to get their voices out because we match what the people are looking for and then nominate a progressive candidate who will then be able to bring in Republicans themselves who are asking for progressive policies. She's right. It's a tight rope to fit, to fit, but it can be done. It's the only thing that can be done, and it's the only thing that's going to save the middle class, the poor, from demise. That's the only savior from indentured servitude. Friends, please click. Now, uh, it's, it's funny because I, I did that last year, and it's amazing how prescient it is even right now. Now, the thing that I wanted to say, and I, it just me kind of just tickled my mind about it. You know how um, Amazon is making a killing and all these big companies are making a killing? Um, let, me, let me tell you something else that Trump did. I mean, he didn't really believe in it, but he did. And he talks about open up, open up, open up. He wanted to make sure that bars and all the little stores and all these, these guys could open, right? And one of the reasons that he uses that, he, it's sort of a double think there. Because all these little businesses are going out of business permanently. And he actually, he doesn't mind that at all. But if he knows that there's, you know, people, whether they decided to open up a lot of these businesses or not, most of the people who have a mind, they weren't going to go to these businesses anyway. So there, a lot of them would make a little bit more money. They would probably go under anyway. But here's the kicker that's happening here. When we have an economic system that does not support 
the little man, but gives all the tax break to the guys on top. A lot of small companies are going to get out of business. Amazon is going to teach America, hey, I can do just about everything online, which, you know, I mean, uh, that's, that's capitalism, right? Uh, you know, if you, if you have a different method of shopping, then all these other companies have to find a way to become like Amazon to, to join the fall. But they don't, have, they, they don't have the run and start, right? But here's the kicker. This pandemic is a panacea for every big company. Because while mom and pop had to close, and mom and pop doesn't have the wherewithal to make it through the hard times, all the chains will do fine. So what you're going to find is that nice little Greek restaurant that you liked around the, the, the corner. That nice little Jamaican restaurant that you loved across the corner. Well, the one, the one Jamaican re- restaurant on Richmond is still doing fine because they figured out how to do some boss takeout. And since they're a niche market, they're able to do better. But for the average mom and pop, just regular diner or, or, or whatever, they're not going to make it. But you know who has the, the cash to stay in business forever? McDonald's, uh, Chick-fil-A, all these guys, they're going to do just fine. And when the pandemic is over, you will have a lot of closed businesses never to come back. And guess what? Those people that used to patronize those businesses in the order of billions are going to be going to the big companies because there's not enough little companies there to service them anymore. And it's going to be a while before that is recovered. A real government that cares about its people, what would it have done? It would have said, we are going to freeze everything until the pandemic is over. We're not going to pay back the loans for the businesses or anything, but we can do one thing. We can say all loans are frozen. The government will pay the interest on all loans. We are, le- we are, st- we are, we are making it as if nothing is happening. It's almost like we freeze the economy where it's at for those companies that we're forcing to close. Freeze the economy at that, at that point. And as soon as we are back to normal, everything opens up as if only one day passed. That is not a difficult thing to do, right? That is not a difficult thing to do. The government could say all businesses that we tell to close, status quo remains, meaning their rents, Everything status quo remains. And then, after that, on, it's like another day occurred. And will there be some fraud? Absolutely there will be some fraud. But is that little bit of fraud worth saving all your, saving that infrastructure of a vibrant uh, economy that has small and large and medium companies? You bet it is. S- look. If we cared about people, that is what we would do. If we really cared about true free enterprise, that is what we would do. But we only care about capitalism, which is an institution that's there uh, for, it it is a dog-eat-dog institution, an institution that cares nothing about uh, uh, humanity. It does have its purposes in some areas, but it definitely does kill. Folks, please, uh, we're at the end of the program. I'm about a minute over. Uh, please remember, if you, you get my book, please, uh, that helps us keep the lights on. Go ahead and go to the Amazon link that I just put in there. Uh, if you want to get around the middleman and come directly to our store, I'll send it to you autographed with a bumper sticker and something else in there. Politicsandright.com slash store. We also have t-shirts and all that kind of stuff there. If you're on YouTube, you can buy our t-shirts and our, our sweatshirts like this one that I'm wearing right now. You can get all those things on our YouTube channel right now, and that helps us uh, keep doing this. And of course, please click the Join button on uh, YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, you can still join our YouTube Posse. It's only $1.99. And you go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Of course, we still want you to give us your Patreon if you want to. And that is politicsandright.com, that P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsandright.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And PayPal is at politicsandright.com slash PayPal. If you're listening on podcasts, that's the reason why I continuously say it, because a lot of our views occur on podcasts, on vlogcasts, and other places. 
Now, folks, I know you have places that you could be. I thank you so kindly for spending this time with me. I ask you to share these programs, both in podcast form and otherwise, because that is the way we get our message out. You can be anywhere. The fact that you're here with me, I am genuinely honored to the heart. Thank you so kindly. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.